The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. We teased it earlier in the week. They are finally out. It is time to unveil the CBS Sports Coach Rankings, 1 through 65. Every Power 5 head coach and Notre Dame uh, put into a ranking that is compiled by experts from CBS Sports, from 24-7 Sports. All the ballots come together. Tom Fernelli sorts it all out, writes it all up, posts it on the site, blurbs for everybody. He's in there in the story saying, like, I don't know what you guys are thinking. I had this guy way higher. You're doing a great job of messaging Tom within the context of this story so that fans uh, understand that it is not specifically your opinion, but I'm the consensus. But you're still getting it. Can't, yeah. You absolutely cannot do it. So uh, here's our order of business. Number one, uh, if you are listening to this and have not read the story, we'll give you a quick rundown of the, the coach rankings. And then number two, We've got some of our ballots, and it's time to find the outliers. It's try- time to find uh, some of the places where we differ from each other and some of the places where we differ from the consensus. But before we get into all that, I want to make sure that you know that the PGA Championship is back at the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island Golf Resort in South Carolina, and you don't want to miss any of the action. It's where Rory won back in 2012. We got Jordan Spieth playing some of the best golf in years. Can he complete the slam? You can keep up with all the drama and watch the PGA Championship for free on the CBS Sports app by visiting cbssports.com slash PGA Championship. Once again, that is cbssports.com slash PGA Championship. All of the PGA Championship for free via your Paramount Plus or TV login on a connected TV. So many different ways to watch, so many different feeds. Again, cbssports.com slash PGA Championship, the CBS Sports app, Paramount Plus, all of it the best way to keep up with the action from the Ocean Course at Kiowa Island Golf Resort in South Carolina. Second major of the season. We're fired up for it, baby. Anybody anybody got any picks? 
not not Zach Johnson after uh, John Rahm said that he was pulling uh, pulling the like the cover off his five wood uh, for a second shot on all the par fours. I mean, so it's he, a beast. There, it's playing near eight thousand yards right now. It's a big old bear of a course. My my picks, Bryson. I'm going. I'm going with the big golfer as my as my really? winner there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but his sprays, his misses are so bad, and wind it could make it really bad. You, I, I thought that winged foot was not going to be his spot. Like I looked at last year, and I said TPC Harding Park, he's going to mash it. He's going to take over the course. He played pretty well. He just didn't play as well as Colin Marikawa going 65-64 on the weekend, right? Like, Bryson played well enough at Harding Park that he could have won another PGA championship, just not the one that Colin was going to win. Then at Wingfoot, I thought it wasn't going to suit his game, and he comes out and wins that one. Not only wins it, but cruises on Sunday as, like, the only sub-70 score on the course. So I just I was either going to go Bryson or Rory, and so I ended up leaning Bryson, uh, even knowing that he didn't play well in Dallas this past week. The wingfoot thing, though, what would the, I think the, the real takeaway there was when, when the rough is that tough, distance really, really matters because uh, Bryson's able to hit you know nine iron through these other guys are forty yards back and they're having to hit four iron out of the rough and and with, with this can't speed, do there right you can't even hit a four iron you can hit a wedge, you can hit a wedge or a nine iron out yeah yeah like he's punching out onto the green they're punching out to a hundred. Mm-hmm. And then you got to time it with like the windmill, windmill going through because you don't want to hit one of the, the spokes. <laughs> it's true. Putt, right. putt. There we go. Uh, all right. Let's let's uh, let's begin this with just a quick rundown. And um, I'm not going to take too much time, but just if you're listening to this right now and, you know, doing some chores that we will revisit some of the placements along the way. Number one on the, con- again, consensus CBS Sports Power 5 Coach Rankings for 2021. We do this every single year. Number one is Nick Saban. Dabo Sweeney at two, Lincoln Riley at three, Ryan Day at four, Brian Kelly at five. Jimbo Fisher at six, Kirby Smart at seven, Pat Fitzgerald at eight, Matt Campbell at nine, Dan Mullen at 10. Uh, Ed Ogeron, Mac Brown, James Franklin, Kyle Whittingham, Mike Gundy is 11 through 15. Mario Cristobal, Kirk Ferentz, Paul Christ, Gary Patterson, Tom Allen, Herm Edwards, Mark Stoops, Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw, P.J. Fleck round out the top 25. Uh, 26 through 30 is Bronco Mendenhall, Brian Harson, Dave Clawson, David Cutcliffe, Lane Kiffin. I wanted to do this because someone's waiting for their favorite coach and they haven't heard it right yet, right? Like they're just sitting there. You're waiting for one name. Pat Narduzzi is 31, followed by Manny Diaz, Mike Leach, Greg Schiano, Lance Leipold, uh, 36 at Dave Doran, Chris Kleiman, Justin Wilcox, Chip Kelly, Jeff Halfley, 41, Neil Brown, Brett Bielema, Eli Drinkwitz, Mike Norvell, Scott Satterfield. Have you heard it yet? Because, hey, Texas fans, Steve Sarkeesian, number 46. Scott Frost at 47, Clay Helton at 48, Justin Fuente at 49, Sam Pittman at 50. Jimmy Lake at 51, followed by Josh Heupel, Jeff Brom, Carl Durrell, Jeff Collins, Jonathan Smith, Mel Tucker, Nick Rolovich, Dino Babers, and Matt Wells at 60, Mike Loxley 61, Dave Aranda 62, Clark Lee 63, anchor down, baby, uh, Barton Simmons number one for uh, for general managers, and then uh, Jed Fish 64, Shane Beamer 65. Uh, so we've got the uh, the outliers to be able to you know unfurl some of the the places where our opinions have differed. I think that uh, just just to kick things off right at the top, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, 
easy one to, I think, unless you've, you've got a good challenge. I guess my question for you all is, is there any real surprise at the way the consensus fell in, uh, you know, Lincoln, Day, Kelly, Fisher, uh, and maybe even all the way down to Kirby? I think the top seven are very top, top seven feel like it might be just a flavor, what your flavor is. Um, where, where do y'all stand on those? I mean, I, I, I think at this time last year, there was some debate about whether you could put Dabo ahead of Saban at number one, but then after Alabama adds another national title, it's kind of made that a pretty simple debate for this year. But other than that, top seven, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's not until we get to eight where you kind of just start seeing, you know, some people are going to be like raising their eyebrows or kind of questioning things. I think that top seven, while maybe you could debate the rate, the rankings of three to seven, that's probably what the most common order of coaches is guys are boring (laughs) can you make so you guys should have been required to have some coach not at one of the elite power like the top five top six programs that you had to make your case to be in there like all the stuff we talked about yesterday like making like and i'm again i'm partial to the pat fitzgeralds to the cutcliffs to the david shaws even to a matt campbell you know, the coaches who do more with less, but we just went off the rank. Like, yeah, just went off the rankings. Like who are the best teams in the country? Well, Oh, their coaches must be great. And they are, but it's just boring. You guys should have, you guys should have riled some, some people up, get more clicks going. I'm going to have to talk to our bosses about this list. Well, we've right, got, let's, let's yell at each other about it. Then. <laughs> well, we've got like, playoff appearances. Like that's, I, I just see like Jimbo Fisher doesn't have it at Texas A&M, but he's got it at Florida state in the national championship the year before. Like it's the Jimbo, I think is a great, like I'm surprised somebody I think could have made a case for Jimbo over Lincoln Riley or Ryan day. Like if you wanted to splash things up a little bit, it's certainly possible. I think offensive innovation becomes the differentiator <laughs> between like Jimbo Fisher falls into one bucket and then Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley fall in the other. And it's not necessarily that Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley are innovators themselves, but they certainly seem to be uh, more on the uh, on the cutting edge of uh, of offensive football than Jimbo Fisher. Like they're not refusing to score points. Correct. Like Saban famously says, "Is this what you want football to be?" He was a defensive guy. He, he clearly hated how it was going. And like Josh Pate said on, on Lake Kick, he's like, look, Saban just wanted to have a boulder that runs downhill. No maintenance required, just just mash you. But then when everybody else has fighter jets, you got to build your own fighter jet. You know, if you built the fighter jet, I'm going to give you credit for it. But the other thing, Danny, is like, I do think recruiting to these highest level programs and, and getting them running and getting everybody pulling in the right direction is a skill. Like Mark Richt, never could get the buy-in from everybody at Georgia that Kirby Smart got. Now, you can criticize Georgia people for not giving Rick everything he needed to succeed, and I think that's in some ways fair. But I think you also need to credit Kirby Smart for getting them to go and be 100% committed. And he got those boosters together, like Saban did at Alabama, to create that machine. Is that what he did? Because I know yeah, he, they're, they're I know like he super got, aligned. Okay. I know I don't have that perspective to be able to say you that. You recruiting? Oh, biting my tongue right now. Those guys don't play. I, but uh, see, Maybe I, Mark Rick wasn't willing to cross some lines that other people might have been. I'm just biting my tongue. That's all I'm going to say. Kirby Smart was so, at yes, least. Does that make him a great coach then? Yes. In the eyes of George. You want to win at the highest probably. level? 
he was able to get state legislators together. I remember seeing Kirby Smart down there at the state house shaking hands and being like, yeah, we've got to get all these Freedom of Information Acts uh, out of here. I don't want any reporters to be able to report. What kind of state laws can we put in place to be able to protect uh, anybody from uncovering what's going on within our football program? Is that a skill? Lobbying? I, I, I bumped him two Absolutely points Absolutely it is in college football. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I, I will say that, Danny, to your point, on my ballot, uh, Kirby Smart was down at 17, and I found him losing tiebreakers to a Dave Clawson and to a Bronco Mendenhall because I, I think that there's built-in, I think that there's built-in advantages at Georgia, and I think that there is um, like a, like start, start the season and you win nine games. Right. And I just don't think that that's what some of the other coaches that I put ahead of Kirby smart, uh, on the list and listen, like come, I, I was the last one repping the Georgia podcast. I was the last one on the boat as everybody was jumping ship. Like I, I really, um, I'm excited about Georgia this year. I'm going to make a, you know, probably make a reckless Georgia's going to win the sec this year prediction here in a couple of days. But I, I think that if we're doing like, you know, what have you accomplished? What tools did you have? What kind of results did you get from them? I, I think that uh, I, I did end up awarding coaches that recruit less talent, even though, like you mentioned, bud, there is something to be said for um, if we're ranking coaches, it's, it's a skill. It's a skill to be able to get everybody pulling in the right direction. Yeah, I had Kirby at 11 on my ballot, so I had him outside my top 10 as well. And a part of that is, too, it's like I respect the recruiting. Obviously, he's done a fantastic job of revitalizing Georgia's ability to recruit. It's just some point that recruit has to start turning into results. And they did reach the title game the one time. But I think that the results aren't quite at the same level of Georgia's recruiting. Because you look at the teams that, you know, they're up there recruiting against and where they're ranked against, those teams are playing or winning national titles. They're competing for a national title every single year. Georgia hasn't really done that. I feel like Kirby, while he's recruited well, has also held the program back a little bit by his lack of willingness to open things up. And I think that, you know, we, we had gone into last year hoping we would see more of that. But even last year with JT Daniels, who obviously wasn't 100% to start the season, they were still more conservative. And then they went to Daniels later in the year and the offense opened up a little bit. And we started to see some results. So for me, I'm still kind of like, okay, I need to see you kind of cut do you know do what Saban did, do what other coaches did, adjust. It can't just be about acquiring talent anymore because there are other teams that have plenty of talent too. You need to be able to out scheme and out coach them on the field as well. We I, go I, ahead. I get all that. I just I think there's guys you have rated ahead of them who I don't care how good they can coach. They can't recruit at that level, even if they're out of Georgia, I don't believe. So, like, it's like, great, if you had the same level of talent, you could win. But you're responsible for getting that level of talent. And recruiting is more important than coaching, in my opinion, in college football. It's not 100-0 as far as on the scale. But, like, who you have as players, it matters, man. Like, It's talent acquisition. Yeah, it is. You are the GM. What do you think, bud? Unless you're you're Clark Lee. Do you think (laughs) – Exactly, unless you're Clark Lee. It, do you think these guys blow you away? Like, what makes them a great recruiter? Is it the backing of getting the boosters all on the same page, or is it blows you away in a living room? Because when I think of Bobby Bowden, I think blows you away in a living room, gets the mom on board, lovable guy. Like, But that's not what I think of a Saban. Now, he does have another side of him where he can absolutely turn that on, and I'm sure Kirby does too. 
But how hard is it to sell Georgia when you've got this backing, you've got facilities, you've got everything at your fingertips? Some of these other guys might be able to recruit there too. I'm not, I don't want to make this a bash Kirby. I think it's just – I think it's easier to do your job at a lot of these schools because of the resources that you have at your fingertips. I agree that it is certainly you know easier, but everybody else who you're recruiting against at that level also has those resources. Mm-hmm. And you know, look, look at a team that recruits pretty comparably to Georgia in LSU, right? They won a national title, and Georgia went to overtime. Georgia has been a much better team over, over Kirby span than than they have under Orgeron span overall. Now, look, LSU's got the rings, and flags fly forever, so you, you can't take that down. But I do think that look, the, the living room thing matters a whole lot. Running the whole organization top down, making sure everybody's pulling in the right direction, ha- having you know, the analysts and the scouting staff and understanding the relationships and the connections and, and staying on there and, and making sure that, that you're emphasizing the importance of recruiting. I think there's some coaches on this list who don't care about recruiting to the extent that a guy like Kirby does. So I, I, I had him fourth, which is, is way higher than everybody else, I guess. That's I mean. Honestly, like from that's a big picture, <laughs> like, like from a big picture, that's why we send ballots to a lot of people. Because I'm just, I, I value recruiting less than you do. And that's, I mean, that we're splitting it up into different, um, into different buckets here. And that's, uh, you know, you're, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I like part of it. I'm kind of, I, I value recruiting as well. It's just part of my rankings too, is if I gave all of these coaches the same exact team and told them to go win a game with it, there are other coaches I would have more confidence in being able to win the game than I do Kirby. No doubt. That, that to me is the, that is, should be the judge of what makes a great coach. And that's something I think we lose sight of. And it's almost impossible to do because we don't know the inner workings. A lot of these programs sometimes with, you know, who's calling the plays, the staff and differently, but I think Tom nailed it. Like that's how it should be had. And I don't think anybody does that to the, it's almost impossible to do. There's going to be, you know, you have bias toward what you think makes a good team, but that should be it. You are given equal teams who's winning. It's an impossible drill, but I think that's the best way to do the exercise. I think that's the way to do it if you're evaluating the NFL because you're not responsible for who's on your roster. Mm-hmm. But in college, you, you largely are. No, I, I like I said, I, I, got do, you. I, do, I do include recruiting. I do include accomplishments. It's just I think that one of the reasons I can't put Kirby as high as you do because you're valuing the recruiting more. It's like I'm, I'm looking at it as more of a – I think I'm, I think my blend is more even than yours is what I'm saying. I think I'm I imagining the Georgia South Carolina game and the coaching malfeasance by both Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart as they were going back and forth refusing absolutely refusing to win the game. I think it was 2 years ago, right? I, yeah. I be, yeah, I believe that's a that's a Jake Fromm like four interception game and uh and it just it you know, and then was it the fake punt in the SEC championship game? I mean, yeah. I, I think if we get a Georgia fan okay. on here, they'll start like rolling out some some in-game uh, frustrations from uh, from throughout the uh, the time where it's like you can get all that talent, but they're still in those high stakes games against the very very best teams. There's either a, a call or an adjustment that was or was not made that you know, and and look. This is his first time as a head coach. That's also important to, I think, bring into consideration that I I believe that there's probably room for growth and that he's going to be a head coach for a long time. And he might be a better head coach four years from now than he is right now. All right, let me ask you this. And this this may go viral or I may just get yelled at by both, both fan bases. Any Florida fan you know would trade Kirby Smart for Dan Mullen? Probably every single one would rather have Kirby Smart. 
right? Because they don't think they don't think they don't think Dan Mullen Florida team can recruit at that very very upper echelon that you have to have if you want to topple Saban, if you want to actually win it all. Yeah, Kirby Smart makes a lot of mistakes in in game, but Dan Mullen doesn't get the very very top guys on the recruiting trail that Saban and, and Kirby do. And when it comes down to it, he's not winning the national title there. Don't, don't you think, think there's a I, I, I think I think Florida fans would much rather have Kirby. I don't think, you think Florida there's fans a portion would probably of have a blend. Right? Well, sure. Don't you think yeah. there's a portion of Georgia fans who'd be like, man, we need a quarterback guru. Look at that offense last year. We'd love to have Dan Mullen here. I think they I think they had a much more personable version of that before Kirby. Yeah. A guy who wasn't winning the top talent in Atlanta. Mm. So Georgia fans would just rather get that last little bit. Like they just I think so. Yeah. Do you think that Kirby Smart's gonna win a national championship in the next five years? Yeah. I mean, it would be huge. It would change his his stock for a, like yeah. for a, for a long time to finally think, just get that one. I think he's going to play for a national title within the next five years. I don't know whether they'll win it or not. Oh, I mean, yeah, winning the game the game itself is just uh, total totally up in the air. All right, so we mentioned uh, Pat Fitzgerald here is sort of the the highest ranking of this like non. Uh, you know, college football playoff elite recruiters just one spot ahead of Matt Campbell. Um, is that is is that the list? I, I would probably include Kyle Whittingham. So that's a, that's Pat Fitzgerald at eight on the consensus. Matt Campbell at nine on the consensus. I would probably put Whittingham from uh, from Utah up there. Whittingham, by the way, is the highest ranking Pac-12 coach on this list. Two spots ahead of Cristobal. Any any anything stand out from that next little tier? I think that. James Franklin at 13 is very, very interesting because 13 feels perfect. I know, I cannot tell you that he definitely deserves to be in the top 10, but I definitely can say James Franklin from both considering what he accomplished at Vanderbilt and also that he's done a, a pretty good job recruiting talent to Penn State and leveling up the, the talent base of that roster. He definitely should not be, in my opinion, lower than uh, like 20. So uh, in anything from that next group, I, I had Fitzgerald at five on my ballot outside of the top four because I just look at Pat Fitzgerald and what he's done at Northwestern, and I don't think you could wring another ounce out of, of success out of a program more than what Fitzgerald has done at Northwestern. So when I look at it that way, it's like, okay, he, he deserves to be ranked there. Where I kind of lose as far as this next place is Matt Campbell being in the top 10, and I think you guys are nuts for putting him as high as you did. Mm. I'm going to ask you guys this question. What has Matt Campbell accomplished at Iowa State that Kirk Ferentz hasn't done at Iowa? Because Kirk Ferentz has more 10-win seasons at Iowa than Matt Campbell has been at Iowa State, period. Matt Campbell has never won 10 games in a season yet. He's coming off his best year. And again, I had Matt Campbell at, let me see, 17th so or 16th. It's not like I don't like Matt Campbell. It's just what has he done to be a top 10 coach? Where, where, what program do you think is easier to win? Bingo. I think was, Iowa has was more. Iowa, Matt Campbell has resources. done stuff. Yeah, was I, Iowa Matt, easy to win at before Ferenc was there? The guys much more, titles. much easier. Yeah. Okay. Like, like, look, uh, Matt Campbell has done stuff that Iowa State has not done in a hundred years. We hadn't had the Spanish flu the last time Iowa State was this good. They weren't even called Iowa State the last time they had back-to-back seasons this good. I'm pretty. I, I looked this up for an article last year. They were called. Like something different. It, it was like turn of the century. Like because Iowa was the only show in the state. 
Yeah, I, I think it's much harder to win at Iowa State. Like, if Matt Campbell loses, do you think Iowa State's going to bowl games consistently? From, from I don't. 2000 to 2005, they were winning nine, seven, eight, seven games a year, which is exactly what they're doing now. And again, I don't, I don't want to come off like I'm slamming Matt Campbell. I just, I think there is far too much projection for what you think is going to happen in your rankings for Matt Campbell than in what has actually happened. It's a bit a bunch of eight and five seasons. And then last year was nine and three. And again, okay, Iowa State's more difficult to win at than Iowa. Sure. But is it more difficult to win in the Big Ten or the Big 12 right now? But their last nine seasons. I think it's more difficult season. to win in the Big 12 than it is the Big Ten West. He doesn't have to play the East teams. But their last tw- uh, nine win season was tw- 2000. And yeah. before that, it was non existent. Matt Campbell. Last year, was also, last year was also the first time he had fewer than three losses in a season in the Big 12. Okay. So my Matt Campbell, uh, my Matt Campbell take is tied to the most subjective thing, which is the AP poll, because Iowa State did not make a single appearance at any, not one, in the AP top 25. From 2006 to 2016, an entire decade of not being considered one of the 25 best teams in the country. The last time that they finished in the AP top 25 was, I, I, I'm just, I'm scanning it. I'm scanning it. Uh, 2000. That was okay, it. Okay. Well, let me, let me put this way. Matt Campbell finishes ahead of Dan Mullen, who did everything you guys are talking about Matt Campbell doing, but he did it at Mississippi State in the Ah, SEC West with a completely dog crap program and turned it into something respectable. And now he's one, you know, he was playing for an SEC title at Florida. You have him ranked ahead of Ed Orgeron, who won a national title two years ago, who granted is coming off a bad year and I'm lower on too, but still a national title winning coach. Matt Campbell's better than he is. Mac Brown has won a national title. He's revitalized (laughs) North Carolina. Uh, Matt Campbell's better than he is. James Franklin has revitalized Penn State. Eh, Matt Campbell's better than he is. Matt Campbell hasn't accomplished anything what the guys behind him have accomplished, yet we're, pro- prop- we're propping him up ahead of them already because he I think had you a nine-win season at Iowa State. I think he is four spots too high. I would have those other guys, except for Ed Ogeron, who I think is another one on here. I had Orgeron, yeah, I had Orgeron below Campbell on my ballot as well, too. It's just, it's like when I, when I'm looking at where he's finished and where he's ahead of some of the guys and what they've done, it just, it blows my mind. I had them all on the same tier because I had Matt Campbell at 11, uh, Cocho at 19, my James Franklin was 14, uh, my Dan Mullen was 16. And when you present it like that, especially the Matt Campbell, Dan Mullen, doing some self-scouting, I might have might, <laughs> had that one a little flipped up. You put those two, like, I had them all in a bucket, right? And I just started assigning them, and I just try to, like, shift them up a little bit. Again, this is all, in my mind, between 10 and 20 on my personal ballot. So I am considering them all within the same conversation. But uh, Dan Mullen's accomplishments, because I almost jumped out of here, Tom. I almost made a big old ass of myself, and I said, But Mount Union! But Mount Union! But I'm not going to be doing that case. Uh, Dan, what Dan Mullen accomplished at Mississippi State, combined with New Year's six appearances with Florida, that's that that that's probably worth um, uh, being. A, I I don't know about specifically what number he should be at, but in the Matt Campbell um, Dan Mullen comparison, I will I will concede that's probably a, a fair fair claim. One correction: I had Orgeron one spot ahead of Campbell, and I actually remember because I had him bunched up. The tiebreaker was well, he did win a national title. He did, but. Who has their program closer to their ceiling? Matt Campbell or Dan Mullen? 
Oh, I, I argue Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell is setting the ceiling for Iowa State. Dan Mullen, we've there. seen what this it would look like his, if you kill it at Florida. This is going to be his sixth season at Iowa State. It's kind of hard to compare what Dan Mullen's done at Florida in half the time compared to what Campbell's done at Iowa State. That's but I will, for Michigan fans, if you want some fodder, I do have Matt Campbell's spot ahead of Jim Harbaugh. I've got him a couple spots ahead. Um, Jim Harbaugh is uh, is down at number twenty three on the uh, the overall. Mike Gundy at fifteen. Are y'all still? Uh, I need to pull up the um, highs and lows here. Are, do we still think Mike Gundy's one of the better coaches in college football? I had him at nineteen. I think that for me, it's the consistency, kind of respecting what he's been able to you know, do there on a consistent level, but there's also very much a ceiling to what his programs have done at Oklahoma state. So I kind of took that same approach with where I put him in my rankings. It's like, well, you have to respect all the winning, but there's certainly a ceiling. So top 20 seems right, but not too much higher than that. I, I don't think like he's a decade separated from a team that could have played for a national championship. That's a, it's a lot of time in football years, you know, mm-hmm. and that, like you mentioned, there's a there's a very high floor there. So I, I suppose that that needs um, that needs some some discussion. But there's there's a couple coaches on this list that you know on my ballot they they held a, a higher spot a couple years ago. And you know maybe it's my short attention span. But you know it's just over time you're like I don't know I don't know how wearing on me just a little bit. On this week's episode of All Things Covered. Three-time All-Pro Patrick Peterson and two-time Super Bowl champ Bryant McFadden add another DB to their secondary for a chat with Herm Edwards. Yes, Arizona State's leading man discusses why his 2018 hire bothered people at the time, his confidence heading into year four with the program, how long he'll remain with the Sun Devils, and much more. Should be a very interesting conversation, so you want to go and listen to it. It's Brian McFadden, it's Patrick Peterson, it's Herm Edwards. Download and follow All Things Covered wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on the other side, some of the outliers, places where we differ with each other. Let Danny be a little bit of a judge and arbiter, make final rulings on this, uh, and more takeaways from the CBS Sports Coach Rankings, again, available on cbssports.com. Next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Uh, Bud, I like this idea. Thank you so much for compiling all this information. Um, you are the 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 spe- spreadsheet guru on this team. 
you've got greens and reds. It helps my dumb little eyes be able to know what I'm looking at. And, uh, and, and I, I wanted to, do we want to go, um, sort of just down the list alphabetical or, or how about as you put this together, what coaches stood out? Like as you were filling in some of the highs and lows, like let's, let's start with the ones that, that really resonated with you first and, uh, and, and we'll start to make our arguments. So first of all, Danny asked us not to be boring and, I got to say, Chip's picks were boring as hell, man. They're all like very close to the average. They're all in the middle. Tom and I are out here like we actually have some opinions. We're, we're not afraid to fire. I mean, uh, uh, the guys who I highlighted. Are you sure I'm not a setter? Are you sure that I'm not actually the wave and everyone Chip is, is closer to me? Yeah, I'm a tastemaker. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Chip, Chip is the tastemaker. This is fair. Uh, so Chip has three coaches highlighted that that, that I, I put on here. I have six. Tom has seven, and I should probably have seven as well. Uh you want to just go top to bottom on, on the haters ball and, and, and the fan club? Yeah. And yeah. basically just <laughs> all right. Uh what if what if Danny what if Danny M sees this since since he, yeah. he actually didn't vote? All right. So Chip, I'll go with you. All right. We'll start with you. Gary Patterson, 39, significantly lower than the fellas here, significantly lower than where he finished. Why the uh, why the concern or I guess disdain for Gary Patterson? Um, concern and it's immediately turned into like hoping that I'm wrong because I've I've been picking up on this. I I might be on TCU to be a, a really good team in 2021. Something that would absolutely reverse uh, this ranking and this stock, but. It was before I reached that conclusion, it was saying, okay, if you look at Gary Patterson's history, anytime he's had a down year, he's always had a bounce back. Are we sure that that can happen now? Because when the bounce back happened before, he might've been in another conference. It was pre the big 12 move. Can we even take those kinds of ups and downs into consideration given the way that the competition has changed? Uh, You look at you know, just some of the ways that even defensively they lost their way and that was the big red flag because, it, you know, Gary Patterson is supposed to be the, the defensive mastermind, one of the best game planners, one of the best uh, in-game defensive adjustment coaches in all of college football. So as, as TCU lost its way a little bit throughout last season, I would say that I started to wonder if, uh, you know, Gary Patterson's time is, is coming to a little bit of a close. And, uh, and again, I, I say that with the expectation that, this, this could change really quickly because I do believe there's a re- great buy low opportunity with TCU in the Big 12. So I'm, I, I kind of feel like the shine of him being a top 10 coach, which is where I've ranked him, you know, five, six years ago. You probably catch me in 2015, 2016. I'm telling you, he is one of the best coaches in all of college football, especially after getting TCU to the place where they're, you know, Big 12 co-champions. They're playing Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, I think that I was uh, probably letting that seem like it was even more in the past just because I, I started to get a little bit of a whiff that maybe, maybe maybe things were coming to a close, time had run its course, and that while he's the greatest coach in program history, uh, maybe TCU would start to look elsewhere. I could very well be wrong because, again, I'm kind of thinking that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up a little bit of TCU stock heading into 2020, but that's uh, that's also knowing that I my initial – 
inclination could be right. They could, all of the pieces could be there where they've got uh, one of the highest rated quarterbacks ever brought into the program, one of the highest rated wide receivers ever brought into the program. Um, you've got a, an offense that should be really, really impactful. And yet, if they fall flat again and, and if the defense is bad, then you have, you're going to start looking around and be like, hey, is, is this it? Like, are we, are we going to start looking at a coaching change at TCU? When's that going to happen? You know, those, I think that those conversations are one to two bad seasons away. And I think that that's why his stock slipped in my mind. Well, I do add him 15. I, I think that reflects that I'm, I'm high uh, on him this year. I, I, I think, I think coach Patterson can, can still coach, but I, I do think it is much more difficult as Chip noted to, to be that consistent in a league like the big 12 than it was, you know, it, in a G five league, right? Like, like the fluctuations you have in trying to recruit against Oklahoma and Texas and all, all those teams are going to be greater. And when you have a bust, it matters more in a league where other teams ha- have more talent than you do. Uh, they, they've had some misses in recruiting, but I think they've also had some coaching staff turnover. I still have some faith in Gary Patterson. Um, maybe 15 is too high. All right. I have been accused before of being an instigator on social media. So I found some some spots here that we might be able to instigate some arguments. I feel like I'm a producer of first take right now in the pre-show <laughs> meeting. All right. You said this and you said this. Go. Uh, Kirk Ferentz. I know we just talked about him a little bit. Um, Tom, you are very high on Kirk Ferentz. 13 overall. Bud. An extremely low, 46. That is one of the biggest disparities we have. Uh, 33 spots different in there. Tom, you go first. For me, it's just kind of respecting the long-term consistency of what he's done. Like we talked about it earlier, like the Iowa program he took over wasn't exactly a juggernaut. They went 1-10 in his first season. They went 3-9 and nine in his second season. And then they made their first bowl game at 7-5. and five. Then in year four, they're winning the Big Ten and going to the Orange Bowl. In year six, they're winning the Big Ten and going to the Capital One Bowl. Well, they split the Big Ten. That was back before we had championship games, kids, way back in the long, long ago. But, like, this is a guy who, for years, has been taking this Iowa team to bowl games. He's been... Develop, he's been rec- he hasn't been recruiting super high top level talent for the most part from it's it started to improve in recent years where they're getting more four and five star talent but for a bulk of his time it was mostly three star kids under recruited bringing them in developing them and sending them on to the NFL and for me being able to do that for 20 years consistently that's worth more to me than I don't know a guy going nine and three one year since the, the Big Ten went to divisional play, he's lost six, eight, five, six, two, which was awesome, five, five, four, and and three games. So in a weird way, the two most recent seasons are, are actually a, a lot more impressive. M- most of his good work was done before they went to divisional play and before they had you know the, the last round of expansion. Um, I think Kirk, Kirk Ferentz can, can coach. Do I think he's on the upswing? Not really. Some of that stuff last summer – I, I factored into this, right? I, I think increasingly you're you're having to recruit and coach a different type of player. Now, maybe you can recruit to your model. I think a lot of coaches do that successfully, but I I, I don't know. I'm not as impressed as, as I used to be, and I, I wonder, you know, would we have him this high if he wasn't in the or if he wasn't in the Big Ten West, right? Like if he's in the East, is is he is he making bowl games consistently? I I don't know. Probably but I don't think they're, they're, they're threatening for East titles anytime soon. I, part of this, 
loss avoidance, I think, is is being from the West. Do you think that there was a time, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Kirk Ferentz always on that, like, NFL might be interested list? Yes. And Him and David Shaw. When was basically. that? Like a David, a decade ago? Mm-hmm. Feels like it must have been, yeah. right? Yeah. That I will. I, that suggests will some also, some coaching acumen, like not necessarily in talent acquisition, or but that at least suggests that you know, in, in terms of being able to put together game plan, coach up the game, and and uh, you know, do just the very basics coaching of football. Like you know, Kirk Ferentz drops to D two, he probably wins a national championship or something like that. Those those sorts of uh, that's in my mind. That's what's on my flip card when I, when I pull up Ferentz. I will say this as far as the being, is he on an upward trend or a downward trend? Let's remember everything that happened with that program, the off season, the way it was handled and the concerns about, you know, maybe he's going to lose that locker. Maybe he's already losing it. Iowa then starts the season. zero and two in a COVID year in which players can just at that point, hell, we saw it. Players could bail. You know what I mean? They could just give up on the season. They finished by winning their last six games. They were the only team that even competed with Northwestern in the West last year. So, I'm not as worried about that. Yeah, it was. A- I talked to, I talked to five former Iowa players since the kind of all the issues came out. Five black players. So I was curious to know their take on the program. Former players already been through the program. All of them had nothing but positive things to say about Kirk Ferentz. Like I, I and 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 they all made the point that hey, everybody's experience is different. Maybe for these players that were complaining, it was different for them. But like, I am far less concerned about a culture problem now after talking to some of these players than before. To me, it felt like players weren't happy with playing time, weren't happy with the experience that was there. They wanted to voice it, kind of, you know, took advantage of the opportunity of a national stage. And once that blew over, you kind of got, okay. And they, and they made the file of Chris Doyle, which, you know, felt necessary and the right thing to do. But I think Kirk Ferentz still does have – a pretty good thing going there. Um, other, I'm despair- probably too low on him then, actually, Danny. Like that, 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 that take kind of changes my mind a little bit. Yeah, um, and of course, now, has- I'm not 13 high on him. Right, but right. Like, right. I, I'd, I'd say like maybe, maybe 30 instead of 46. Closer to the I'm bloated right. middle. Listen, like we're all, we all took these yeah. like 30 coaches and sort of like stretched right. them out as much as possible. And I will readily admit that I'm going to be higher on big 10 coaches than anybody else in this podcast will be. Not all of them. <laughs> I thought so. And I, I, I ran some analysis o- over here. So Tom's average big 10 ranking is 28. Chip is actually the high man on the big 10 at 22 somehow, oh. which is kind of crazy. And then I realized that Tom has, uh, has Loxley at 60 and then Tucker 39, PJ Fleck 36, Scott Frost 37, Tom Allen 26. So it was, like he loves the very top of the Big Ten, and then doesn't think a whole lot of the rest of it. Pretty How about sure. my ACC boy compadre over here, Chip? I am. This one was an eyebrow raiser. Pretty big disparity in you and Tom and Bud on Jeff Collins. What have you seen from old Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech to have him as high as twenty-five? Back-to-back top thirty recruiting classes at Georgia Tech. <laughs> Like this is a program that was like recruiting below group of five for a long time. And he came in and, you know, for all the like Waffle House shtick and Star Wars little cards and and, and everything that he's got with his presentation, he has recruited at a way that is very difficult at a school that has some academic limitations. And I I kind of think that there have been um 
less moments on the field in games where you can hang your hat on and be like, oh man, like this team is really close to totally turning the page, but there are individuals that get out there and you're like, that that guy's a player. Like this, this, these are very good football players. You get a few more of those, you know, top 25, top 30 classes in here. This could be a Georgia Tech program that while it was competing for division titles with much less talent under Paul Johnson, it, it could be a very different story. I think it is um, recruiting. I think it is uh, the way that he has embraced the the full change from having to do a roster turnover. And again, it's like, you know, there's a, there's, there's a Florida State game. I think there's a Miami game that they might have ended up losing, but they were at least like super competitive in. Like there's there's some spots along sure. the way. Yeah. You have a coach who's 21 and 26 in his career at 25. Jeff Collins? Yeah. Yeah. He's 21 and 26. Listen, listen man. And, hey. not, I, and it's like, I hate doing that because it makes it come like I'm saying he's a horrible coach. It's just, it's like he's 21 it's and 26. <laughs> I'm because ACC he's got two good too. recruiting classes, <laughs> you've got him in your top 25. He was good at Temple too? All right, well, that why was not- Jeff Halfley at 23? I've got Jeff Halfley. Uh, Jeff at 23. That... That Boston College ACC team was good. Tom. Tom, you're you're the out, you're actually the outlier on Halfley. Yeah, I would disagree with your 31 as well, but 23 yeah. just seems extreme to me because Jeff Halfley's coached been a head coach for one season and went five and five. That Boston College <laughs> Woo, team was 25. good. That was a good Boston College team last year. They were competitive. Um, I also. So on Collins, I wasn't really sure how much credit to give him for recruiting because if we're going to say like, hey, Kirby Smart can fall out of bed at Georgia and get a top 10 class, well, Kirby Smart can only only sign 25 dudes, right? Like Georgia Tech was recruiting like a G5 team on purpose because they chose to run the option in a talent-rich, like one of the like most talented cities in the country. Like I'm all for Kansas running the option. They, they I think they should have hired Duncan. But like, guys, at Georgia Tech, you should not run something that is, to, that is like a, basically an answer to not being able to get talent. You can get talent at Georgia Tech. What about uh, getting them into school? It's not as easy, but there's a lot of good prep schools in, in, in the Atlanta area that, that, that have kids that have grades. Stanford takes a couple. Vandy takes a couple. Northwestern occasionally will dip down there. Notre Dame hits them really hard. You can certainly do it. Uh, I wasn't sure how much credit to give him for it. He's improved their recruiting, but how much is that with him? And how much is that was just not running something that nobody wants to play in, right? With Halfley, I, I also took a look at Ohio State's defense last year. And particularly the secondary and just from guys I know in the industry who when Halfley was an assistant, this is just, I guess, some insider information. They're like, that guy's going to be a head coach in the NFL someday. Like he's dynamite. He's got the goods. Ohio State's not going to be as good because he left. Like they're really going to miss him. And I thought he did a very nice job navigating, you know, Boston College, a team that they like they didn't get the meet last year because Massachusetts had some of the most strict COVID regulations in, in the whole country. Um, I, I don't know. I thought 31 was, was cool. He's a very good recruiter. I thought he did a nice job coaching uh, in, in the first year. And I, I think he's going to be the guy moving on up. Can I add one oh. more Halfley thing? We always sure. talk about the defensive coordinator. He didn't coach like a defensive coordinator. That went, no. Phil Jerkovich threw the ball like 42 times right. a game. I mean, he has yeah. almost taken like a Ohio State kind of approach. Like he was like, ooh, this is, this is what we're going to do. You know, we've got Zay Flowers. We're going to try to overwhelm you on the outside. We're trying to hit explosive plays. I mean, David Bailey is not one of the best running backs in the ACC. You know, he doesn't have like a Montel Harris back there or an AJ Dillon to be able to just play the bully ball that Adazio did. But at the same time, uh, that was not, that doesn't come necessarily with the script of defensive coordinator gets hired, runs conservative offense. That was not what BC did.
I will say, I, I want to be clear. I really like Halfley. I loved his defenses at Ohio State. I thought it was a great hire at Boston College, and I think year one was a very good start. I just, I'm a little more conservative. I like to see more from coaches before I just start, you know, bumping them up at 23. 23 yeah. and 25 for a 500 and sub 500 yep. ACC coach. That's that's chip right there. We're good. <laughs> little chip does love the ACC. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. All right, I got beef with. Two of you guys who have this coach in the bottom 15 of the Power Five at 51 and 53. Tom's the only one with some common sense, and even him at 29, I think it's a little low. In nine years at Stanford, David Shaw only has one sub-500 season, which was in 2019, four and eight, his worst season by far, has had multiple 11 and 12 win seasons, has a Rose Bowl title, multiple Rose Bowl titles, and yet you guys have him checking in at 51 and 53. And remind you, last year they lost the first two and then won out their remaining four games for a four and two finish to go second in the North. I think you guys are way too far down on David Shaw. And he's one of those coaches that I look at and bring him up in that category of does more with less at Stanford. I'm willing to admit I could be off here. Um, Now, granted, Tom is the outlier in in, in still believe. But for me, it was tough to separate like situational factors that have impacted Stanford in in new ways from, from David Shaw's coaching ability. I do think their offense has not adapted quite as much uh, like some of these offenses have. I mean, if we're going to ding Jimbo Fisher for doing that, then we probably need to ding David Shaw for that as well. Uh, But the thing that has really hurt them, in my opinion, has been the early signing period and also the the, the transfer portal. Like Stanford doesn't take that many transfers. And the early signing period, there's a reason David Shaw was by far the most vocal coach out there uh, to in opposition to, to when the early signing period was being proposed in 2017. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that has really crippled their recruiting uh, because they're they're not able to offer acceptance to these kids uh, early on at the rate that any other school in the country does, including the, the other really good, quote-unquote, academic schools. I guess they're all – if they're schools, they're academic. But you guys get my point on that. Um, but I, they, they're just not playing at the level they used to. Even though last year they went 4-2, and two, they, they weren't like a like, – Tom, what did you have them power rated last year? Like in the 50s? Yeah, they were they were guy I don't have in front of me, but they were in that forty to fifty somewhere range. Did y'all watch the NFL Network coverage? Obviously, we were all watching the CBS Sports CBS. Fantasy, <laughs> uh, CBS Sports Fantasy Show. But David Shaw was kind of killing it on the draft coverage, and I was like, hmm, he might. Know he Tom. always does a good job. On yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's good. do you know what he's he knew, impressive. Tom? This is what he knew that was different than the average year when he has like great scouting reports and does a good job of being a communicator. He knew a lot about what NFL teams had done. Like for someone who was supposed to be in there filling the role of the college coach, he knew an awful lot about team needs for all 32 teams. And he knew he was like, and then, you know, week 12, that's where things really turned for him. I was like, this guy has really been researching the NFL franchises. Huh. Is it it? It's Stanford, Chip. He does his homework. I, I'm just saying, it's, it, I've seen him on the draft coverage a lot, and I was just like, hmm, 
I wonder if uh, this is a little audition tape for some GMs. Wonder if he's kind of trying to trying to send some send some flares and some smoke signals. Uh, I I saw David Shaw. I believe he's one of the funniest moments. Uh, it was, I think, a game against like San Diego State that they ended up winning. It was on the mothership, you know, like the ten thirty kickoff on CBS Sports Network, and I just saw David Shaw standing like. 30 yards from the rest of his team. He just was so disgusted by everything that was <laughs> happening. <laughs> I just, I think David Shaw is a very, very good football coach and what he accomplished during like that, that sort of like Rose Bowl, that peaking era to be able to take over um, from, take over the reins from Jim Harbaugh and and be competing for Pac-12 championships, to be competing for Pac-12 championships like all the way into just a couple years ago. I think that in terms of identity, it is a team that is kind of like floundering and, and lost its way a little bit uh, instead of it just uh, being that like party in the backfield, the, the the mash you on defense to have the running back that's going to really be able to carry you all the way in trying to open things up. Um, I understand that some of that was leaning on some big body tight ends and wide receivers, but I, I think that the loss of identity, I think the way, and to your point, bud, um, just, the way that college football has continued to change in ways that don't necessarily help Stanford. I I just wonder if that David Shaw who has NFL experience and who NFL, you know, franchises have thought about for a long time. I I wonder if it's uh, if, if things are about running its course right now at Stanford. I will say it's been very excellent against the spread. Mm. To, Good. To Wait whom till those things matter. Wait till name, image, and likeness opens up. Some of these nerd tech hedge fund guys are like, I want Stanford to be good again. They start buying talent to come in there. It's going to be a game changer. Well, I, got I a hope, coach on I here hope they don't pay for him in crypto after this morning. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, have an, I found another one that I think I should include when I say coaches who do more with less because I kind of have a group in there. The reason they do more with less is academic restrictions. But – Mark Stoops, what he's done at Kentucky, mm. and Bud is significantly higher on him than most. I would probably fall right in the middle. Chip, you had him at 30. Uh, Tom, you had him at 35. But Bud has him as high as 16. I don't know if I'd have him quite that high, but you look at doing more with less at one of the – what you know a decade ago was one of the worst jobs in college football potentially. And now you know with a 10-win season under his belt – and I know they made some changes on the offensive staff, which were surprising, but I think Mark Stoops is a name that deserves more credit for the job he's done too. Player development's my big word there. Mm. Good scouting seems to play within it. Like they, they seem to play, play to their own style, play within themselves in a much harder division than Kirk Ferentz is in, I would argue. Like I had him higher than Ferentz because I, I, think, he, I think he's better at all the things Ferentz is, is good at. If you, put, if you put this Mark Stoops Kentucky, Kentucky team in the Big Ten West, are they not having the same results as Iowa? Aren't they recruiting against They're, Big Ten teams? Like, aren't they like and leaning them. in on the like and Ohio connections yeah. and just sort of taking taking it in there? Yeah, right now I, I, I'd agree, but I also you know France has been doing it for twenty years. That's fair. Yeah, that's uh, that's what definitely I, what I want to know. But why do you hate Wisconsin so much? I, I just I think it's 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 a top down org. I I I, I said last podcast. I, I think for the most part, whoever you put in there, as long as they follow the blueprint, is going to win. So is context. your Big Ten the lowest? If you've run some conference analysis, it sounds like your Big Ten because I'm seeing a red next to Bielema, who you have at sixty, 
and you've got Paul Christ at 35. I've got him at 10. Tom has him at eight and you've got Ferentz at 46. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly low on on, on the Big Ten coaches. Why I, do you I'm, hate? I'm, I'm higher on Ryan Day than everybody else. Why do you hate America's farmers? <laughs> right. I mean, I why, why do you give them why, why do you give them this big of subsidies in the coaching rings? <laughs> I don't know. Right. Zing. Oh man! Uh, uh, all right, any other uh, coaches on here? The uh, all right, to to another one that uh, that you're high on, Neil Brown. Is that is that an industry? Neil Brown's got some industry love, right? There's a lot of people who talk about how they like Neil Brown, maybe more Neil than Brown, he did come on the uh the, the 24-7 sports social distance podcast uh last summer. Um I think Troy is a pretty hard job. Uh Tevern it used to be. I, I think he did a really nice job there. And since West Virginia has has moved to the Big Twelve, I know Coco will hate this, but like they took the check in exchange for giving up an opportunity to win. Like they're not going to win in the Big 12, but he, I think he's done a respectable job there. He had a lot of rebuilding to do behind the scenes when, when Dana left, in my opinion, just from things I've heard. And I think he's doing a decent job. Now, I may be high on him at 23. I, guys, I really struggled between like 25 and 50. Yeah. I, I, I thought you could throw these things in a hat and, you know, like, like you could. Somebody makes an argument against <laughs> these. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm open to, to changing a lot of these in, in that range. I'm not. My rankings are 100% correct. Uh, before we get out of here, Danny. I will hear no other. Can, can, can I ask Tom something? Sure. All right. If we're going to count Mac Brown's national championship from like 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Is it irrelevant what Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman did at lower levels? Like I that, that stood out to me because like Tom values consistency and winning and maximizing the talent you have. But yet Lance Leipold 50 and Chris Kleiman 49. Like that's that just seemed incongruous to me a little bit. Well, well, I respect what Lance Leipold did at Wisconsin Whitewater. It's Wisconsin Whitewater, and there's a big gap between that and Power Five. And I respect what he did at Buffalo. So, but when it comes to me, when it comes to coaches who are just entering the Power Five level, like I said earlier, I kind of take, a, I want to see more of what they do at the power five level when I'm comparing them to coaches who have already accomplished things. So I tend to start them lower, but that said, because of that, I felt like 50 was a, probably a pretty good start for Leipold considering where I normally put coaches like that. And as for climbing, yeah, obviously the North Dakota state stuff works and I really respect what he's been able to do at Kansas state so far. But for me, it's not all that different from what you were talking about with Wisconsin. That's fair. That Kansas State just Dakota built. State. Oh, and North Dakota Ron State. Ron Prince messed it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, but I'm saying that NDSU, that was already they were winning. You know, that was kind yeah. of already there. He maintained it, and again, that takes. That's not you know that's not something anybody can just walk in and do. Kansas State, there's a blueprint that's been in place, and he's kind of he hasn't really diversified too far from it. So it's, I respect them both, but because it is, it, those were part of the reasons why I wasn't really putting them up ahead of other guys. And some guys I just have personal preference for. It is the entire Power 5 coach rankings. You can check them out at cbssports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at BudElliott3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Chip, we get to yell at each other about this some more. And... Okay. 
Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.